Thank you for checking out this resource from Grace Chapel in Skinny Atlas, New York. If you'd like to find more like this, or you'd like to learn a little bit more about our church, you can do so by going to gconline.org. And now, let's jump into this week's message. Well, good morning, church. I want to take a moment and welcome you here today, those watching online. We're excited that you're worshiping with us. Um, Before I get into the uh, scripture today and the word, I just want to take a moment. Uh, I was pressed upon my heart last night. Uh, I'm sure many of you know the story about what's happened out in Buffalo uh, just yesterday, uh, a shooting where 10 people were killed. And I I just really felt it upon my heart that I wanted to pray together. Uh, pray for the reality and the heaviness of the victims and the, and the victims' families and what they're walking through. Um, and really pray for God's peace to uh, go over the whole situation there because I don't want to run through moments. I know there's many stories we have personally. We need prayer locally. We need prayer. But I just wanted to take a moment just to pray as a body for what has happened there. So let's just take a moment and pray together. Jesus We know that you ultimately are peace when we know you, but we know we live in a world that is broken and fallen, and what's happened in Buffalo is tragic, and there's been victims from this. And God, we just ask that your peace uh, is with the victims' families and the, the grief and the mourning that they must be feeling from this, the communities that are affected because of this. God, we just ask that your Holy Spirit is present right there. And God, we even pray for the shooter and what is going on in his own heart, the vileness and evil that is being experienced. But we even know that your hand is not too far from redeeming him. And God, we, we just pray for the grief and the mourning that must be being experienced. And God, we just ask that you cover it with your love and peace. God, we grieve together for the loss of life and the communities that are affected. And God, I just bring this before you and just say, God, just take this worship and prayer and just use it and heal and make whole like only you can. God, we need you and we trust you. And we ask all this in Jesus' strong and mighty name. Amen. Thank you guys for doing that with me. Uh, I'm excited to share with you today, for those of you who don't know or that are watching, my name is Mike Tropea, and I get the privilege of serving as the executive pastor here on board. And we have been going through a series for uh, 12 weeks where we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. And this is a series that really has focused on one of Jesus' biggest declarations and teachings in front of thousands of people. And what he's introducing on the stage is a narrative of how a new kingdom is being ushered into the world. A kingdom that is counter to the culture that life is being experienced. And we walked through a number of weeks about these beatitudes, where these are countercultural postures. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted. The things that don't feel right... But at the heart of who, of what they are, they ultimately bring life in the midst of the world in which we live. And it moved on to a section where it talked about us being salt and light in the world. Salt during that time preserved. It preserved God's good design and also gave uh, flavoring to the world around it. And so how we are to be the same in the world that we live and we're also called to be light to not diminish and step back from the world, but press in as light bearers as we follow and get to know Jesus, to press in with the light of Christ. 
And then we move to a section on this idea where Christ, it wasn't the law that was over. Christ in his fullness came to accomplish the law in full, and we lean on his resume and not our own. And I don't know about you, but that's good news that I, because I couldn't keep the law on my own, but Christ came in our place, and we live off of God's righteousness through Christ. And now we are in this section of scripture where it's tar- Jesus is ushering in this idea of, hey, we don't just merely follow all Old Testament laws that have outward um, uh, neglect of, of certain uh, practices. And Barry got, uh, spoke about this last week in a, a riveting message on Mother's Day about anger and murder. Just what you want to hear on, on Mother's Day, right? Um, but it's about the inward posture of our hearts. And God, how God gives us new motivation. And today, we're at a por- portion of the scripture that's talking about lust and adultery. So I just want to say thank you for allowing me to serve for the past four years. I know to, this will be my last day after I talk about lust and adultery and sexuality. But no, I think this is very important that we talk about it. Because we have a, a, live in a time in a culture where... The culture is going to be talking about it, is talking to us already and talking to our kids already about sexuality and what they think they need to believe. But I believe we have a a God that has designed our sexuality and we have a God that has directed it and it is good and we need to talk about it. But we also live in a world that has degraded it and it has deep consequences on our souls. But the good news is that Jesus redeems it. And he can make us whole. So I want to talk about that today. Let's read Matthew 5, verses 27 through 30. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Church, if we read this passage in isolation, we can, we can fall into one of two situations. We lo- can look at this and say, hey, Stay away from all of your sexual desires and don't even talk about it. Just stay away from it, right? It's only bad. Or you can say, let's just not talk about it in general and it'll figure itself out. No, but Jesus goes directly to the misdirected uh, aspect of our sexuality. He says, hey, run, let's do war. But I want to talk about how God has designed us sexually in a way that is good and holy and gives good direction for it. And I want to set us up for success on how we live out God's design and direction for this and save us from a lot of hurt and pain that can be caused because of this. And so my first point today is really about this uh, misdirected desire and and to open a little bit about that, just to explain about this, um, my daughter is a Lego fan. She's seven years old and she loves Legos. She can spend hours and hours just playing and even taking them apart. And I give her credit for that because that would just make me go insane taking those little Legos apart. Um, But we had uh, gone into the Lego store at Destiny and she had seen this $100 Lego set. And we said, we're not paying for that for you. (laughs) 
We love you, but we're going to use this as an opportunity to lead and guide her into understanding how the money she was getting from her birthday and the money she was getting for Christmas and holidays and to save it up so she can steward her money. So we use this as an opportunity to give her a plan and to direct her desires towards this good thing. It was good. And so uh, we were up to like $56 and we talked about, hey, Aurora, one of the things is we get, all our money is given to us by God, so we give some away. And you imagine for a seven-year-old giving money away? <laughs> It's like, what are you doing? This is all mine, right? And then, so we walked through that, and then we said, hey, you know, you're saving, you're getting there, it's gonna take time, and then the worst thing to do is to bring your kid into a store when they have money, and they're saving towards a goal, because they just wanna spend it, right? So we went into a store recently, and Aurora said, hey, I want this, and we're like, I'm like, you do not want to spend your money on that, it'll make you farther away from your goal. It wasn't a bad thing, and I was just like, she's, she wanted the sticker book, right? And I'm like, that's $7, are you sure? And I was like, and so we said, yeah, okay, we can give that to you. And so she bought it, she spent it, and immediately upon getting in the car, she opened it and realized, this is not what I thought it was. <laughs> she was left just dissatisfied with her purchase, it wasn't that it was a wrong thing. It was just a misdirected desire. And that is exactly what Jesus is speaking to in Matthew 5, 27 through 30. It's not that our sexual desire is a bad thing. It's that it's misdirected outside of God's design. And that's my first point. God has designed our sexual desire and directed it to be good. And how do I know that? Well, I will always go oftentimes back to our, our creation account in Genesis 1, and you'll see it on the screen behind me. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. If you aren't, if you're new to uh, the Christian circle, this Genesis account is a creation account, how the world came to be. And where this verse starts, uh, Genesis 1, 26 through 28 starts out, is now making man in God's own image. And you'll see the verses on the screen are right behind me. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The reality is this gift of our sexual desire is to, be, is to be seen and his design is for it to be in covenant relationship between a male and a female. And one of the, the, the uses of it is to procreate. These crazy humans that you see running around or talking in service is a beautiful blessing, <laughs> right? It's a beautiful blessing of our sexual desire that God gives us and it's good. And these are one of the, God calls us to be fruitful in that, in his original design. And sometimes we stop there and say, that is why our sexual desires have been given to us, to procreate, but it is far, and more, far deeper than that. He's given us, yes, for them to, us to procreate, but also to have pleasure. And sometimes we don't like talking about that, 
because we're like, we don't want to go there and talk about it, but the Bible talks about it. The Bible talks about it in Genesis 2. And you'll see, uh, again, the verses with me is in 24, through, excuse me, 21 through 25. It says this, So the, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Adam is, is looking with pleasure on what God is creating. He's saying it's good. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. One of the key points within this is this idea of one flesh. Sexually, when you come together, it, you become one spiritually, emotionally, and physically as one flesh. And that's where the sexual desire is to be expressed. And pleasure is to abound. And the Bible doesn't skimp out on that. It's a book we often skip, but if you ever get a chance, read Song of Solomon. People are like, we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to talk about it, but it's good. And you see an account of a husband or someone approaching marriage, a Shulamite woman and King Solomon approaching and speaking lovingly in deep, passionate, present language towards one another. And it's full of pleasure-filled language. Some of, the, uh, some of the exclamations that come from it, I wouldn't tell spouses to speak it to one another today like you have thighs like deers. I don't think that will go over really well at all in today's time and space. Just, just heads up. Or you have a neck like Lebanon, you might get smacked if... Uh, just don't. It's just in that context, it was this pleasure-filled language that man and woman were to be experiencing with one another. And it was good, and it was for pleasure. And if you look at the, the, the Hebrew language, you, you will see throughout the Old Testament these, the, these words that have more meaning than we can give them today. So specifically as it relates to love in the Hebrew language in the Old Testament, there's three words that are often used for love. One is this word raya, which is this friendship type of love with one another. And a deeper level of that is ahava, which is this commitment, deep commitment saying, I'm committing to you no matter what. No matter what comes, I am committed to you. And from the raya to ahava comes out of this, this word dod. And you see it in Song of Solomon various, up to nine times and it's the sexual type love and desire that is being experienced. And one commentator on this word study puts it like this. It's a mingling of souls. And you see why the overlap and the one flesh language is, is so important and why it's to be experienced within covenant relationship is because you're overlapping the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual. Because God designed it that way. Imagine that God knows what he's doing <laughs> as it relates to our, our bodies, as it relates to even our physical anatomy that can point towards his design of it for pleasure purposes. We have parts that are specifically for pleasure only because he's designed it that way. And if he's designed it that way, then he is the ultimate one that gives direction to it. 
going back to Genesis 2, talking about that one flesh. It is physical, emotional, and spiritual. And if you've walked through this with anyone, the overlapping of all these three things is his direction in covenant marriage between male and female. He has expressed it to be expressed. Because what happens? Those physical, emotional, spiritual, those things get tangled together and it's good and life can come out of it. And sex that is given to us is a gift from God. And it's cultivated with a healthy marriage. There was a, a mentor of mine, uh, much older than me. He, uh, he was married for 40 years and at, his wife ended up getting paralyzed at 30 years old. And me being the blunt person that I am, he, was, he had been married for 30, year, uh, 30 years past that, so he was around 60. I, my blunt self asked him, so tell me how this works for your sexual to, l- desires to be expressed. He's like, let, let me tell you, Mike, it's far greater than what my sexual desires say. <laughs> I realized when I married that woman that come what may, if I got the physical, if I got the emotional, I'm committed to this person. I am committed because marriage is so much deeper than my sexual desires, and I'm committed to looking come what may, even if I get satisfied or not when my sexual desires are expressed. God will meet me. I just need to love and be faithful with what he has given me. Because it's not all about that within covenant marriage, but that is a place where God is designed for it to be stable, to be experienced, and it is good. Sex is good, church. Praise the Lord. Um, But, and ultimately we need to talk about it. And if I don't talk about why it's a good gift, we will just look at the bad and say, don't say, and we will just be a church that is cultured by what the world says or what we don't talk about. So I'm gonna put before you this question. Do you believe that God has designed our sexual desires and he knows and directs it is better than our design for it? Do we trust that? Do we actually deeply trust that? Or do we think that we know better? But how many of you know we don't live in that pre-fall world, right? Or even within marriages, everything's going great, right? Everything, our sexual desires are met, everything's perfect. No, sin has entered the scene. And Genesis 3 happens, and we think we know better, and so we go about our own way just like Adam and Eve. And as it relates to our sexual desires, we do the same thing. We take it into our own hands, into our own account. And that's why my second point is this. Sin mars God's design for our sexual desires, and it has deep, deep consequences. And that's why Jesus goes to work on sexual immorality here in the Word. We see it all around us, do we not? We're being discipled by our culture day in, day out. You can't go in the grocery store aisle without seeing, hey, 10 ways to have better sex because if everything was perfect, then why do we need better, right? It's very hard to even screen content for my child because everything, there's sexual innuendo being streamed across because culture is pressing in on saying, You are what you feel, so act on what you feel, right? And we see it on social media time and time again where these 
these pictures and images, and we just want to slow down, and, you know, maybe we won't fast forward through what we need to fast forward through on Netflix, even though there's nudity on literally every single, just about every single new movie that comes out, because sex sells, and sex our way, sex cheaply sells, and it's it's, it's conditioned us, church, to believe that's what we are and we're living in light of the brokenness within society with it. One of the things that you often hear in culture is try before you buy, right? You know, we need to try, our, try with our partner to make sure we fit because we think that's gonna make it better, but how many of you know that that leaves you with brokenness and scars, right? Or this aspect of, of going into a relationship and then how many people are addicted to pornography today is, is astounding. How many of us are just in bondage to it? 68% of Christian men today have a pornography addiction. 68% with, that know Jesus are addicted to pornography. 50% of us as pastors are addicted to it. The fastest rising group of people who watch pornography are 20 to 30 year old women. It's not just a male issue. <laughs> Something's not right. Harvard, Harvard released a study in 2021 that's saying, people are having more sexual relations with people and things than at any other point in American history, but yet they're lonelier than ever. Something is broken, church, and we feel it and we know it and we just don't talk about it. And it's not that we need more experience with it. It needs we have hearts that need to be healed from it. And that's why Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, in this section, he says, hey, if your eye is causing you to sin, tear it out. Go to war with your sexual sin. If your right arm is causing you to sin and fall, throw it out, because otherwise you're going to be enslaved by the ravageness of sexual impurity and immorality, and you need a new heart to actually change. And we are suffering even inside these four walls of the church. And we need to do battle. And Jesus knew that we needed a new heart, new motivations, rather than just saying, you know, we'll will it to be. We will will it to be, and it'll be okay. But it's not, and it hasn't been working. 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through verse 20. I want to read it, for, actually 12 through 18. I want to read it first. This talks about the gravity of sexual immorality. Paul is speaking to a Corinthian church where the Corinthians, again, he's writing to a church. Someone within the church is actually sleeping with their mother-in-law. <laughs> you think there's not a lot of difference between culture now and then. It's just, it's just different spaces, right? And Paul is speaking into this where he says this, all things are lawful for me in verse 12, but not all things are helpful. All things are for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. There's hope, church. 
Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. There's the Genesis 2 narrative. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee, run, do war with sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. There are physical effects of our sexual immorality. There are neural pathways. If you watch pornography over and over and over, you're creating physical neural pathways that change your mind physically, that you need more of a dopamine hit every other time, deeper, deeper, new arousals to actually get you to that same place. And God didn't design us to be that way. And it degrades and it misdirects and we are left broken and hurting. I'm going to ask this, obviously I'm not asking you to say anything outright right now, but how many of us struggle? How many of us struggle even with pornography? How much struggle from someone's sexual sin against us? Because we're not immune, church. We're a part of this time and space that we live in where it's constantly assaulting. How much have us accepted? You know, I'm not doing it too bad, so it's not that no, church, flee, run, <laughs> cut it off because it's seeping down into our hearts and it has physical, emotional, and spiritual ramifications for how we live our lives and Christ calls us to far more and far better. But the good news, <laughs> there's a design there's issues with it, sexual immorality, but there's good news today's church. We have a God that didn't just say, figure it out. Will it to be because you can't. We can't. He provided hope and a person, and Jesus can redeem our past sin and give us hope for a future prosperity as it relates to our purity of heart and can heal the deep wounds that sexual immorality can cause. And that is the good news today, and we'll read it. Uh, if you can share uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, you'll see it says at the end of that sexual immorality uh, scripture I just talked about, where he said, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Here's the good news. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Church, the good news is today is you have a purpose. You are not your own. You have a story that is far greater than your sexual desires. You have a story that's far greater than your sexual acts or immorality. You have a story that is greater. And here is the good news. In 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21, it says, From now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus 
no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's not just a word, that's a reality. We have been giving a new heart, a new purpose, and that is in Christ, and we are a new creation. The old has passed away. Your sin, your sexual immorality, your addiction has been paid for, and he has brought us, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. We don't need to live in shame anymore if we are in Christ. I don't know about you, but that's good news. I don't need to live in darkness and hiding because what I have in Christ calls me out to more and gives me hope and a purpose. And he goes on to say in verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God, come back. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The reason why I'm passionate about this specific topic, the reason I'm, I believe there's a, a hope is because I have been radically redeemed from this posture. At 11 years old, I was introduced to pornography from the first time. The average age now is eight. It breaks me for a whole host of reasons I don't have time to get into today. But it breaks me. 11 years old, I was introduced to pornography. I was watching it on a daily basis by 13. And from there, what that does to someone's mind is it starts to change how you, you view people. And I viewed women as commodity that I could get something from because of how I'd been conditioned. And my sexual immorality framed my posture for what relationship was like. So from 13 to 17, engaging sexually, thinking that is what my truth was, thinking with that is what was going to define me, that I would be satisfied, but it wasn't. It left me wanting. But I knew in my heart of hearts there was something more. There was something right. And 17 is when I first understood the heartbeat of the gospel that I could not will myself to get better. I could not make myself cleaned up enough on my own, but the reality was that Christ came down, God sent his perfect son to reconcile what was broken, and I, now I could actually live out the design he, desi he desired for me as it relates to my sexual desires. That was 17. And I really wish I could tell you I committed my life to Jesus and everything instantaneously got better. It didn't. I was given a new heart, yes. But I didn't live out that reality because sin and sexual sin has consequences that are deep and rooted. And so from 17 to 19, I, started, I stepped, had one foot in, one foot out of that reality. <laughs> and it wasn't until after getting done with a party in Rochester one night, after engaging in the same stuff I had been prior, I woke up hungover on a bathroom floor the next morning. And looked in the mirror, and as clear as day, I just said, is my life, is my faith a sham? And as vivid as a clear voice, the Holy Spirit spoke up a verse that I will not get out of my head today that I hadn't read prior. It says, 
My grace is sufficient for you, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I could not clean myself up. I had to give and tap out and say, Jesus, you have to take this one and you can renew. And I'll tell you today, church, from that moment, I really realized God was not out to rob me. He was out to free me. When I lived out that sexual desire within God's design and his direction, there's been life. And now 10 years in, I'm approaching my 10-year anniversary in July with my wife. There's been things that I've had to walk through and undo that have taken this 10 years, but I'm starting to get to a place where seeing the goodness of God within my sexual desires, within covenant relationship between male and female, I'm starting to see the fruit of something good. It's not because of me. It's because I see God's worth and value and see how he's designed it and committed to it. And so... How do we even apply this today? I think there's two places, fields we got to play in. We got to play offense. Church, if you don't have a, Christian, if you don't have a growing, vibrant relationship with Jesus, the culture's going to break you. <laughs> if you aren't investing into a personal relationship with Jesus, either in the fact that you don't know him at all or you're actually spending time in his word, cultivating your heart, you will get trumped by the sexual desires. They will become what you believe you think you deserve instead of Christ and his fullness bearing upon you and seeing yourself in Christ. That's the offense. He wants to give you a new heart to be able to understand and the power and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit to overcome. That's the offense. And what's the defense? You need a community of people around you. We are not meant to walk this life in isolation, and even our sexual sin is not meant to be met, walked in isolation. That's why we're very blatant with going forward. We are going to do life together in community. And there's practical wisdom. Students, hey, heads up. It's not the best idea to watch Netflix at night with someone of the opposite sex at 11 o'clock at night. Just, it's not the best position to be in. Just a heads up. You're setting yourself up for the, what, the temptation that can overcome you. But the beautiful truth is God can redeem and he's out to free you more than he is to rob you. And we need to realize that today. We have, need to use wisdom, church, for this. But we need to embrace that God has designed our sexuality and it is good and he has directed it in covenant relationships. Sin mars it, breaks it, and we see the results of that in society today and even in some of our own hearts. But Christ redeems and gives hope for a future that is bright. Do we believe that today, church? That is the good God that we serve and he is ready and waiting for you to choose Christ's greatness rather than our own sufficiency. And in that, we can be healed and made whole. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have designed us specifically. You have designed us 
in full. And if we just see your goodness and see your design and see your direction, we can experience these things better than we did yesterday. And God, we live in this world that is constantly throwing what you are, what you feel, you are what you think is the best thing, and, and we're acting upon these things. But the hope and truth rests in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And God, there's no one too far gone that's outside of your redemption. And we thank you for that. There's no sin that, that is outside of your forgiveness because your grace is made perfect in weakness. And we just need to humbly submit, hey, I'm broken. God, can you heal me and give me fullness of experiencing this sexual desire within committed marriage relationship? God, and if there's some people stirred in this room who either don't know you and want to or are walking through these things, I just pray that you convict Holy Spirit and you renew minds today, you renew hearts today, and you bring people to know your greatness and the gift of what you have given us. God, we need you and we love you. In Jesus' strong and mighty name, amen.